Welcome back to Music Therapy and Beyond. This is a very special bonus episode for the fifth Monday of November, so I've brought on a very special guest. Harry Beckett is a music therapist from Columbia, Missouri, who has been working in Mid-Missouri for many years serving clients of all ages. He primarily works with older adults in assisted living facilities, hospice care, and individuals seeking private services. In addition to his experience as a music therapist, Harry is a phenomenal musician and pianist. He has many years of experience as a performer and professional musician, and Harry has been a close associate and friend to Giving Song since it was founded, and he's a friend to all of us here personally. So welcome to the podcast, Harry. Oh, well, thank you so much, Alyssa. I'm so delighted to be here. (laughs) So first, tell us a little bit about how you got into music therapy in the first place. Well, um, I started off my career as a professional musician, uh, and uh, I I grew up in the southwestern uh, United States, in Texas and New Mexico uh, in early years, but then I moved to uh, the Springfield-Branson area in the early 1990s. And uh, during that time, I was a a music director at shows in Branson. I was an instrumental and vocal accompanist at various universities in the Springfield area. And I was also an entertainer there. And then um, in 2003, I I, I thought I'd do something different because I've been doing the whole entertainment circuit for a while and, and doing Branson shows and accompanying. And even though I loved all that, I just felt that I needed to do something a little bit more meaningful, had a little more substance to it for me. And I, um, I actually uh, got accepted as a radiology student at uh, Cox School of Radiologic Technology in 2002. And I did my early training in that. Uh, and what was interesting about that is that I... Um, developed some patient care skills. And I I worked in the hospital as a transporter in the radiology department, and I was also a clerical assistant as well. But um, my my goal at the time is that I was going to make my career to be, you know, as a radiologic technologist, which is doing stuff like CT scans, MRIs, x-rays, and that I would make music kind of a glorified hobby. You know, I do some professionally but just kind of play on the side because, you know, everybody says, you know, you got to get in the medical field because that's where the money's at, you know, it's more stable. Well, interestingly enough, during that process that I worked in the radiology department and I was getting to know all these patients, I started, you know, learning how to talk to them, how to take care of them, how to transport them and, you know, give them good old fashioned TLC, you know, tender loving uh, (laughs) care. Uh, And then, in 2003, I discovered a program called the Healing Through Music program, which was sponsored by the Cox Hospital a Department of, of Complementary Alternative Medicine. And what they were using at the time is musicians in the Springfield area community to go throughout the hospital and just share music as volunteers. So they were, you know, they had violinists, uh, harpists, flute players, singers, keyboard, guitar. I mean, you name it, uh, even dulcimer and all that. So it was it was a fun experience. And I said, well, you know, while I'm pursuing radiology and I love music, I'll just go in and do 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 music, uh, you know, do some voluntary service and maybe it'll cheer somebody's day. 
Well, lo and behold, my life changed. <laughs> I had an incredible, profound experience several times in quick succession uh, on the cancer wing, the oncology unit of the hospital. And I went in there and uh, they had one of these rolling digital electric keyboards that I could just roll into different rooms. And so I went in just to share music and just very unconditional, not expecting anything. You know, I didn't realize that I wasn't even thinking about music therapy because I never really pursued music therapy at the time. And I just shared some music and the profound reaction that it had on the people, the patients, these mm. cancer patients. Some of them were very close to dying. And just to see the emotional response and it, it almost like a transforming thing, they would share things about their life, intimate details that sometimes even their own family members didn't know. Wow. And I'm just sitting there just being like a friend, just offering some music. Well, that taught me a big lesson. The light bulb went on our brain and I said, hallelujah, <laughs> God, you're speaking to me right now. <laughs> but what happened is I said, Wow. Here I am going into radiology, and I asked myself, well, maybe there's a better plan for me. I've been a musician all these years, and I was attracted to healthcare. Why don't I consider music therapy? And I, I don't know, I'd heard about music therapy all these years, but I just never really took it seriously or went into it. So I found out very shortly after that, those profound experiences in the hospital and the, the profound effect that it had on the patients and on me as well, mm. I'd look into it. So I found out that Drury University had a music therapy pro program. There was a guy named uh, Dr. Michael Cassidy and his wife, Julie, were heading the program. And so I went and scheduled an appointment with them. And, you know, I go in there and have a talk with them. And, of course... They are excited to say, share, well, of course, music therapy, <laughs> you should consider that. And um, Dr. Cassidy at the time, you know, he was also a professional musician for many years before he got into music therapy. So he shared his experiences and, and he was pretty successful at talking me into <laughs> consider. I said, oh, I know, but how much does this cost? It, it was expensive, you know. <laughs> However, he said, well... Uh, I, I tell him that I had a, a passion for hospice, that I thought I might go into hospice. He mm -hmm. says, well, why don't you check with the Hospice Foundation of the Ozarks? So there was another music therapy graduate uh, at the time who also graduated from Dury right the year before I did. And he he was able to get a grant uh, and did his internship um, in in Florida. For my, I think where you did your training, too. Mm. Uh, and anyway, so he, he got his... Uh, he did his internship uh, with an educational grant from the Hospice Foundation. And I went and talked to the Hospice Foundation myself. And I was really surprised that they, they had some funds that they were, that was on their mind too, because they had heard a lot about the mir almost miraculous world of music therapy. And uh, after going through all the procedures and all that, and they, it took them a few days to, to d discuss it and look at all the pros and cons. But then they finally called me, says, we have a grant for you, which made it affordable for me to go to Drew University and get my certification. That's great. And then it ended up because I had a, an earlier prior bachelor's degree from years before. All I had to do was go to, I didn't have to go the full four years. So make a long story short, I got my degree in music therapy after two years of study at Drury. And then I did an internship 
the music therapy at the uh, Comrie O'Neill Veterans Medical Center in Topeka, Kansas. Wow. And got to work with people like Dr. Alicia Clare, who's one of the most foremost people for people that know music therapy field and uh, AMTA. She is a, a great person. And uh, Gary Johnson, uh, who is a wonderful um, supervisor as well, and just a wonderful program. And then, so that's that's kind of how I got into music therapy. And I know, so I've been board certified as a music therapist since early 2008. Great. That's great. I'm sorry, I get so excited when I talk about this, but it, it, it was no. a, I'm just so happy that I, that I got into that field. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I'm, um, I, listeners to the podcast know that there are a lot of us Drury grads hanging around here at Giving Songs. So, of course, <laughs> it's like family. That's right. <laughs> mentioned that you've been board certified for some time now, so obviously you have a wealth of experience, but I know from knowing you um, as a person that you are a busy guy. You like yeah. to, to keep a full schedule, so tell us about um, all or some of the things that you're working on right now. Okay, well, let me, let me start off, uh, Alyssa, with what I'm kind of doing professionally, Yeah. and then I'm going to talk a little bit about what I'm doing as a volunteer for the community. Yeah. I, I want to start with my professional uh, work at the present. So first of all, and I think you men mentioned this in your introduction, uh, I am an independent contractor of music therapy services throughout Missouri, especially with with facilities associated with Lutheran Senior Services, which includes uh, Lenore Woods here in Springfield, I mean, excuse me, not Springfield, my apologies, <laughs> here in Columbia and Heisinger Bluffs in uh, uh, Jefferson City. And I'm also working with various, several different AmeriCare facilities, including Tiger Place, I've done Colony Point, uh, Bluff Creek Terrace, I've gone to Moberly, I've gone to Fulton, gone to Boonville. So I, I work uh, with various facilities associated with AmeriCare. And, and in those facilities, all those ones I just mentioned, I'm mostly, mostly, but not entirely, just doing group music therapy. So um, you mentioned earlier that I work with senior citizens, and yes, I work with senior citizens of various um, cognitive functioning levels. Some are very high functioning. So for example, people in the assisted living side or even independent living. Mm -hmm. uh, I have some that uh, are in memory care, but that are still physically pretty functional. Uh, and then I, I work with in skilled nursing with people that are less mobile and, you know, have more long-term care needs and some have dementia and a um, variety of other health issues. And then I also work with some that are very, very ill and that are close to end of life. And so it becomes almost a hospice type experience. So mm -hmm. anyway, I'm doing quite a bit of that. And that's the majority of my music therapy professional work. However, I do have several, uh, a, a few individual clients that I work with and they these clients are, tend to be older people. However, they, uh, they they have varying functioning levels. Some just need re rehabilitative things, like maybe a loss, like a stroke, something loss of speech, and then we're using music therapy in in collaboration with uh, speech therapy, physical and, and occupational therapy. That's great. And then I have some that just have uh, uh, more. Um, just normalize what I call uh, uh, restorative goals. 
you know, they you, you can't really rehab them. They're they're kind of far gone a little bit, but you're just trying to keep their life going at a, at a norm, you know, and keeping mm-hmm. them happy and keeping them maintaining. Functioning. Yeah, mm-hmm. maintaining. Yeah, they, so there's there's definitely restorative therapeutic goals. And then I have some that are definitely on palliative care, and I have gotten a few referrals for some patients that are on hospice services. Mm-hmm. And I was able to negotiate a few individual contracts in the past several years, just a few. I like more, of course, because <laughs> I love hospice. But um, there was, uh, I had maybe four or five patients that I got to work with and contracted with the hospice uh, facility to provide music therapy services for them. So, um, oh, and then the other thing that I do uh, professionally is I am the director of the uh, of a local community-wide Parkinson's support group using therapeutic singing. And then the name of that group is the Music and Me Singers. And we used to meet in person uh, for a while at Broadway Christian Church here in um, in Columbia, but beca- because of the pandemic that, uh, that uh, caused everybody to stay home and refrain from meeting in public, I ended up doing a lot of my sessions on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And we pretty much stayed on Zoom because the, the, the Parkinson's patients tend to feel safer. A lot of them don't want to get out and have to travel. You know, they're, sure. they're less mobile. They may have had, had some decline physically, and they, they just prefer to stay at home. So I'm continuing to do um, uh, therapeutic singing sessions on Zoom online with them. And then the other thing, uh, there, there's two other things that I'm doing. Uh, I'm also a church musician, and I play at several churches in town as, a, as an accompanist for the church or just playing offertories and that kind of stuff. And I also sing quite a bit in those services. And then the last thing I do, I am still continuing to be a jazz, pop music entertainer, pianist, vocalist. I play with, uh, I go to Springfield once a month and play gigs with a jazz band that I played with for a number of years. And I uh, play private parties. And this time of year, I start getting busy because of uh, Christmas just around the corner. <laughs> so I do that. So that's kind of my professional uh, uh composite of things that I do. So, and then the other thing that I really become empowered about is getting to work, doing volunteer work for the community. And boy, I could talk a whole hour just on this. And so I'll, I'll kind of let you guide me from there. Uh, but um, um, I did start working in the community with my wife. Her name is Jane Beckett, and she's a retired uh, art teacher, elementary school art teacher. And uh, uh, I primarily with my wife, work for three different organizations. One of them is Mobility Worldwide, which a lot of the churches in town support that. And it, it, uh, Mobility Worldwide builds, builds carts that you um, ship over to um, like uh, third world countries, Africa, and they they basically have a hand crank on them. So for people that are, who, who've lost their function of their legs or have no legs, they can propel themselves in these villages with with their hands, uh, so those are that's a wonderful kind of almost a mission based program that we we work with. Another one is I we work with Columbia Parks and Recreation. We we paint benches around on all the trails. We we have an, a we participate in Park Patrol and the uh, uh, the Adopted Trail Program and various other activities that the Columbia Parks and Recreation sponsors. 
And then lastly, but not least, I'm very proud to be a member of Rotary South Columbia. And so I'm active as a Rotarian, engaging in the community with everything from food bank to ringing the bell for Salvation Army and doing all these public events and uh, you name it. So I better stop there because I don't want to go on and on and on. But those are, that's kind of a summary of what I do now. Yeah, like I said, uh, busy and, and of guy. Of course, I'm, I'm not very busy, as you <laughs> Right, no, not at all. Not a, I'm sure you have lots of free time. <laughs> now, I mean, clearly you you care about um, giving back to the community, and you, you love to love on people, whether you're getting paid to do it or not. You are just a giving person um, with your time and with your talents. But... Um, I guess I just kind of want to ask, like, why is that so important to you? And how does seemingly unrelated volunteer experiences relate to your music therapy work and your your advocacy for music therapy? How do those two things connect? Well, it's it really is amazing in the and I, I'm constantly finding every day new and, and more ways in which they do connect. Mm-hmm. You you would think, you know, how can you go paint park benches? What does that have to do with music therapy? Or right. go and help him to build carts? And here's the key thing. It's all about developing relationship with the community. Giving back to the community. It's all about building meaningful personal relationships. And to me, this is one of the most important things that as a music therapist that I've discovered, and I'm sure you uh, discovered your, yourself and your career, but it's when you develop those relationships and you develop an, uh, a community awareness of what you do, and you can do that just by talking to people. You can go to church, go to church fellowship groups and share it, or you can go to join a Rotary Club like I did, or or get involved in the community. Just anything that you're you're just participating with people. People want to know about you. And by by sharing what you are and your passions and your love and music, but they also find out what you are as a person. And what that does, that establishes an initial base of trust with you. And when they develop that connection with you, when the time comes around with, hey, they're going to need some assistance with their loved one that might benefit from music therapy, they're going to call me. Because I developed that unconditional base of friendship relationship without having to knock on their door and say, hey, I'm a music therapist and I want to tell you about music therapy. No, (laughs) it just comes that way because I'm kind of going into the back door in that way. So I'm building the relationship first. And then they sign, and then they ask me, "What do you do as a career?" Oh, by the way, I happen to be in music therapy. Music therapy? What is music therapy? And they want to know about it. And then, of course, the rest is history. You tell <laughs> them, and then you know, it goes from there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you kind of you touched on this. Um, how does your community engagement help grow your business? Because it's kind of they're kind of related, I think. Yeah. Okay, because. And like I just mentioned, um, the, the way that helps grow your business is first, they develop a trust in you mm-hmm. as a person. Yeah. And once you develop that trust, you're already at least, at least 50% of the way to getting work. You know, I could, I could have approached that person if they were a complete stranger and never met them. 
you know, and kind of use the old next door to door salesman approach. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of making a joke about this because because we don't really have to go make it that far. But I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. We haven't got to that point in music therapy, but but you know, where 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 you're always thinking of the sales pitch. You know, tell them, okay, these are the benefits. Blah, 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 music therapy. This is what you can do. And they're going to ask how much does it cost. And sometimes you give them a quote. They say, oh, I can't afford it. You know, and all that. But but if you develop that 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 trust and you empower them with with what you do, you're already fifty percent there. And so that is probably the biggest driving thing that helps to grow the business. It 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 just gets the ball rolling. Yeah, that's good. And I know, um, you know, when I had called you and and we were just kind of talking about what we wanted to talk about today, you had. Um, you had mentioned that music therapy can be kind of a hard business to sell sometimes. So you're a challenging field to kind of convince people on. And there's this kind of never ending marketing pressure for you as a business owner to kind of be, you know, selling what it is that we do to people. And so can you talk a little bit more about that and how you, you know, the pressure to keep things going and right, get new right. business. I'd be happy to talk about that. Well, as you can imagine, there are many obstacles that that, that come in our way, even at, at, at the present as we speak, mm. of the reality that we have to deal with that, that, that can be an impediment in selling music therapy to the community. Number one, we have the pandemic. Yeah. The pandemic shut a lot of things down, so we could not provide services, and that's kind of a no-brainer. You know, it affected right. a lot of professions. So that yeah. was can be it's a little bit. But then even once people ease up on their anxieties about the pandemic and, you know, everybody's getting vaccinated, you know, or more and more people are getting mm-hmm. vaccinated. So people are a little bit more comfortable about, you know, kind of resuming to their normal life. There's some other realities that are still there and always been there and will Ongoing. always continue. And <laughs> one of those is places, people, organizations tend to always have a very, very tight budget. Mm. They're always tight for money. They say, oh, my gosh, well, we'd love to have you. We would lo-. As a matter of fact, they say, we would love for you to volunteer to do it. <laughs> well, being a board-certified therapist, as you know, you know, it's not I, – I didn't go to school and get trained to become credentialed as a healthcare professional to be a volunteer. Mm. No offense to those people who want to share – their gifts as a volunteer to help. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not really fair to us. And, you know, I, I mm-hmm. think we deserve a little more than that. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, tight budgets can be uh, a, a difficult um, uh, thing to do. However, there, there are some ways around that, which I will talk about in a second. Uh, plus, there is still, um, once again, I mentioned with the pandem- pandemic, there are some still residue hesitation about people getting music therapy because they're worried either about the physical contact with you or that, or, or they're, they're just shy about getting out in public and, mm-hmm. and, and getting services for their loved one because of, you know, pandemic. So we, 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 I mentioned that. And then another thing that makes it often hard to sell sometimes when people want to hear about what you do as music therapy, many times the only way we can, get the message across is we we do a presentation we do a powerpoint if we're talking to an organization 
uh, or to a group, uh, or uh, we 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 go in and talk to an administrator or talk to an educational institution. Where we're trying to sell it, or we're trying to sell it to individuals, to a family, or whatever. And so we're always put in the position of talking about it, you know, mm -hmm. defending that music therapy is a great profession. These are the benefits, and you know, and all that. But the reality is, people really need to have the opportunity to see, to hear, to experience what you do as a music therapy. You could tell them all the benefits in the world until you're blue in the face. That really is only going to get you inches along the way. If you want to get real mileage along the way, you, people just need to simply see what you do. Mm -hmm. And once they experience, it doesn't take long. If, if you are a committed music therapist and you're passionate, and you have a little bit of organization, you know, you don't just go in there and, you know, so you got to have a little uh, strategizing a little bit of that. But th there's also that spontaneous giving element that I mentioned earlier, mm. being a genuine person. When people see what it does for clients and people, when they see that those, that there is quality of life added to them, there's mm -hmm. smiles, there's laughter, there's physical engagement. There's there's motor responses to to stimuli. There's there's cognitive responses. There there are things where people uh, your clients become more expressive, less anxious. I mean, I mean the list goes on and on yeah. and on. When people see that, sometimes they'll say, "I don't care how much this costs. I want my loved one to have music there." Mm -hmm. And people will bat for you. That's how I got my hospice clients when I was working in these long-term care facilities. People saw and experienced and heard, et cetera, et cetera, what it did for their loved one. And they said, my, my loved one is on hospice services. I would love to, to see if we can arrange to have that person receive music therapy. And mm. then, then the rest follows from that. So yeah. that's it. And then, and then the, the last thing I want to say about why it's difficult to sell is that uh, people need to be re-educated over and over and over. You can tell them about it one time, but then they quickly forget. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, you just have to stay on top of it, but it's just, you just have to be, as a therapist, you have to be just so devoted and unconditional, but never, here's, the, here's another key thing, mm -hmm. never come across as a hard salesman. Because mm -hmm. if, if you try to pressure someone and, as a therapist and say, oh, you really absolutely need to have this, and if you come on too strong, it's going to turn them off. Mm -hmm. But if you just have that unconditional giving and just joy, they're going to be so attracted to that that they're going to, they're going to want to use your services. So that's yeah. that's kind of the, probably the 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 main thing points that I think of. Now maybe you know some others, and I I like to learn from you because I know you're doing music therapy services too and, and it can be a hard you know business to sell but it's 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 fun to share with other therapists yeah about the various obstacles that we all go through yeah and, and challenges so well I, there's one that um you hadn't mentioned and i know that we've we've talked about this but this is one that i think a lot of music therapists um really struggle with is a and it goes along with this education piece that you mentioned a lot of people that are maybe lacking in education on what music therapy is assume at first glance or just, you know, if they only know a little bit or just 
they're guessing, they assume that music therapy is just glorified entertainment. And I know that that, that I, that, um, that idea or that stereotype, I guess, rubs a lot of music therapists the wrong way because they have to fight so hard to get, um, credibility in different facilities. And so, um, I'm sure that's something that you've come across, but could you, could you speak to, to that a little bit and how, how you've, how you've worked around that or with that and, or how you've even capitalized on that? Okay. That's an excellent point. I'm so glad you brought that up because this is one of the most important things that confuses people. Mm-hmm. A lot of, t- you know, and, and this happens to me all the time, still to this day. Yeah. I walk in the building and say, oh, Harry's here. We're going to have music entertainment. Oh. I'm just uh, crawling inside. Please don't say that. I mean, I don't tell them that. <laughs> sure. But I, that's what I'm thinking inside. Right. <laughs> but um, I've learned to just kind of just let it go past me. And I just, okay, this is what they say. Even though I've told them a thousand times, you know, I'm, a, I'm doing music therapy, music therapy. And when, when I do presentations like for, for business groups or administrators or organizations, I'm always telling them music therapy is a healthcare profession. It is not an entertainment profession. It is an, it is an, you know, in, you know, it's an organization that's using the tools of music to help facilitate goals that are therapeutic to help people with their physical needs, their emotional needs, et cetera, and their spiritual needs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I know I'm preaching to the choir on this. <laughs> so I do that. But 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 still, when when they come in and they know they're, they're the patients there or the residents in that facility are going to laugh and they're going to sing along and they're going to be happy, they just say, oh, it's entertainment time. You know, because mm-hmm. I... Um, and so it can be confusing. So here's here is where I kind of go the extra mile, and then I kind of remind people, and I remind families. Okay, if I was just doing entertainment, if I was only going into the facility just with the goal of doing entertainment, first of all, I would not have any end in-point therapeutic goals that I was seeking for. I'm going there strictly to entertain. Maybe they'll laugh. Maybe they'll sing along. Maybe maybe they'll get emotional or cry because the music touches them. But my goal is to entertain them. And for me, as the entertainer, to get gratification. Oh, wow. I mean, it's not an egotistical thing, but uh, I think entertainers get a lot of satisfaction out of entertaining people. Sure. And, you know... Some people might interpret it as egotistical. In some cases, it may be, but uh, that 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 becomes more therapy for me as an mm. entertainer. That's my therapy. But you said, "Well, where's the therapy for them?" So here's the key: when you just when you just go there to to stimulate. Here's the key word: when you just go there to stimulate reaction, whether it be laughter, tears singing along, happiness, and a whole range of emotions, just to stimulate, you're being an entertainer. Mm. When you go in with the attitude to facilitate, to facilitate meaning you, you have a background purpose. You're doing this song or this activity or music trivia or movement to, to music, whatever. You're doing that with a therapeutic 
goal in mind that's going to help them with their health, better breathing, better cognition, better motor skills, whatever. Whenever you have a goal, you're facilitating. And the other key thing is very few entertainers know how to drive to drive the response. Now, mm. what does that mean? You might stimulate a response. You might get them to cheer. Oh, I love your music. I stand. Applause, applause, applause. Laugh, you know, and sing along. When you're a therapist, you actually drive them. You get them. They are the celebrity, not mm -hmm. me, the celebrity. It just totally reverses. Mm -hmm. And you're driving them to lift up their leg or to tap their toes, which is you may, that might be your therapeutic goal mm -hmm. or getting them to suddenly improve their mood from being a real, you know, depressed mood to this happy mood. That is what you're doing is you're, you're kind of manipulating them mm -hmm. in a way, but that's what it is. You're, you're, you're driving the response, not just stimulating. Mm -hmm. There was a, I'm kind of stealing this thought from a, a music therapist that I dearly love and admire. And she used to teach neurologic music therapy in Fort Collins, Colorado, Colorado State University. And her name was Sarah Johnson. And Sarah Johnson used to always get her uh, uh, auto harp and, and do gait training with patients, you know, mm -hmm. going down the halls, uh, doing neurologic music therapy. Anybody that studies music therapy knows about this field. And, and they're, 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 they're cueing people to, to improve their gait. Response. Well, but Sarah gave a, a, a lecture at a, one of the music therapy conferences, and I'll never forget what she says. You weren't there just to give them music, and then by, by happenstance, that, that person engages rhythmically with your music stimulation because you don't have any, you don't have any defined plan behind your motive. You're just like, you know, when the saints, you know, go marching in, you know, you're playing happy music and maybe, maybe they're going to respond to you. Maybe not. But with the mind of a therapist as an entertainer, you're going to go the extra mile. And I very seldom, you can look at all the very few celebrity entertainers in the world that are famous do this. But when you not only stimulate those responses, you drive them with purpose. Mm. You want them, oh, when the saints do go marching in. Your goal is not to necessarily to get excited about you singing when the saints go marching in. Your goal is to get them to lift up those legs with a nice and steady gait and improve their physical functioning. Mm. That's what's really in your mind. Mm -hmm. And you are driving their movement. Through your music. So music becomes a tool to drive them. And that's the key word that, that to me has just totally changed my world in music therapy. Mm, yeah. It's it's not just stimulating the reaction, it's driving. You are somewhat in control. Mm -hmm. Now that sounds like, oh my gosh, <laughs> music therapists are so manipulative. <laughs> there is a caveat to that. Because we all have ethical standards by which we do it. Mm. We could easily get, caught, get so caught up in our manipulative power as therapists that we're causing somebody to go down a potentially negative path or mm -hmm. create harm, mm -hmm. which totally defeats our whole purpose of being a music therapist in the first place. Right. So even though we are driving the reactions, 
in the back of our minds, we have this high, high, high ethical standard mm-hmm. that that keeps us in place about being you know being sensitive to their cultural background being sensitive to their 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 musical interest uh to their personality you know you and as you know you, you, you not everybody can be treated the same way some people you can talk to or interact with in some way and for somebody else that might be totally inappropriate mm-hmm. so you're really going to know your clients and et cetera, et cetera. so that's that is kind of I know I get passionate when I talk about, but that's that's, no, that's what great. I really, really believe is one of the most important principles in music therapy is this idea of driving interactions, driving a re- desire response, but with always a high ethical standard mm. at the top of it all to keep you in check. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great that's a really great distinction because that's one that we're having to explain I feel to people all the time. You know, the difference between just because really anyone could just add music to a situation, right? You know, right. you could just anybody, any volunteer could provide those entertainment services, but not everyone can or should right. <laughs> provide that that uh facilitation as you put it, that driving um, a response mm-hmm. with the music. When you're smiling, when you're smiling, the whole world smiles with you. Oh, when you're laughing. So you just talked about, you know, the, what it means to be a, a music therapist and an entertainer, but thinking of it as um, a therapist would think about performing music. In a session. Right. Now, how does if let's flip that um, because you are still are a performer. Mm -hmm. So how does your therapeutic lens affect your music performance? So if you actually are going to entertain someone or at a, you know, at a Christmas party, say, how does being a music therapist, how has that affected the way that you perform as just an entertainer? That is an excellent, excellent question. <laughs> Thank you, Alyssa. You're just so perceptive. I love your, your, your thoughts and comments. Um, and this is something that I've really found over the years. Um, and I, I will say right at the outset, music therapy has made me a better musician. Mm. has made me a better performing musician, mm-hmm. made me a better caring musician, all of the above. And the reason why it does, and I'm, 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 this is kind of an oversimplification, but I want to center it around this one key principle. Music therapy forces you, if, if you have any conscience or any ethical standard at all as music therapy, music therapy forces you to be less self-centered. Mm. When you're an entertainer, it's so easy to be caught up letting that self-center, oh, you know, oh, the crowd, they're jumping up and down. You're all happy today. Let's rock. You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, here you are getting them going, and, and that's bringing you joys in the band, you know, and the bass player and the drummer, they're all getting into it. You're the lead singer, and you're getting kind of a mental high off that. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that becomes therapy for you, for your ego, which mm-hmm. is okay. I mean, we all need every a healthy person needs a little self-gratification time to time. But the music therapy process forces you. You have to be less self-centered. And it's all about your client. Mm-hmm. It's all about the it's always all about them. So what what I've started doing in my performances, people says, Harry, play me a song, come entertain us. I always, I'm not saying that I'm perfect at this, but but I strive over and over again 
and I even pray before I do this. I say, what can I do? I pray to God. I say, what can I do to help these people have a better quality of life today mm. for them? I don't care about me. Mm-hmm. I don't care, God. It's not about me. It's all about them. Mm. What can I do in my music to bring comfort to this depressed person who just lost their, their spouse uh, through death? Or what can I do to, to help them overcome this, this pain from this illness that they're having or something or anxiety? What can I do? I just pray, please, God, give me that, that give me those tools. Let me use the, the, the right notes or, or the, right, the right feeling behind the song. It's all about, it's kind of a surrender. And I know it's, I'm sounding kind of spiritual here. <laughs> and, and I know people or music therapists go with different uh, spiritual faiths, and that's fine in their background. But this is a universal concept. It's all about unconditional giving and using, going in with the attitude of what can I do to facilitate or to encourage them being the true celebrity here. Mm-hmm. I would rather see them get the glory and have them stand up and, oh, I feel so good and laugh and I get second billing. That brings me so much more pleasure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wouldn't have said that 20 years ago, 15 mm-hmm. you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. It is totally, music therapy has totally rocked my world, hopefully for the good. I hope I've not gotten <laughs> too off. I mean, I don't mean that to be too facetious but um um it's just that's just the way i feel i it's it just it brings about a, a a joy that i i've never fully experienced before just being an entertainer mm, yeah i think that's that's 20 years of wisdom right that's yeah. your experience speaking there and i think we've all us younger therapists and less seasoned performers like myself should take note i remember in my undergraduate training, um, one of my clinical supervisors gave a, a piece of advice to my senior class because we were talking about this. We were talking about what it means to be a performer outside of music therapy, you know, because you spend so much of your training learning how to perform. And especially, you know, I was I was a vocal primary. And so I spent a lot of time singing in front of people. And um, she said, you have to in in terms of like that self gratification she said you have to know that you're good enough and then never need to hear it again so that you can just give to your clients and give to the people that you're making music with and not need to get that excellent. that is that is that is excellent excellent wisdom yeah yeah that's from, always stuck with me yeah when and, she said that yeah 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 so i think that goes right along with what with what you're talking about so um, tell us a little bit about you and we, I'm kind of backing up here because you mentioned at the top of the episode when you were talking about all of your all of your um your professional endeavors, there's quite a few, but they all fit together under this umbrella of your business that you call collage music services, which I think is a really beautiful name. But I want you to kind of explain your philosophy behind that and how it all you know, fits together. And how did you come up with that name to encapsulate what it is that you do as Harry Beckett, music therapist? (laughs) And that's another great question, Alyssa. Um, And actually, uh, I I have to say right up front that one of the original inspirations for me choosing that name, Collage Music Therapy Services, is, 
is my wonderful relationship with my wife, Jane, who is the, re- I mentioned earlier, is, mm-hmm. the, is the retired art teacher. Let, let me just give you the standard textbook dictionary definition of the word collage, and then we'll go from there. Okay. A collage represents a piece of art made by sticking various uh, different materials to a backing material. That's the literal definition of the word collage. If you're looking up in Webster's Dictionary or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, there's going to be some wording somewhat to that effect. So it, it kind of started with the art world that you're just sticking little sorbents of this and that on a backing. And like, so when you've heard of the saying, people create a collage, like they, they do a little art project, mm-hmm. pieces all different, cut uh, things out of magazines and, and icons and, and photos and, and artwork and so forth. Um, but, uh, so uh, once again, uh, my wife was my original inspiration because my wife and I talked about when I was coming up with a, a business name for my business cards years ago, and we brought up that word collage and, uh, I said, yeah, I kind of like that. And she liked it. Uh, and then when I found out that in the world of music, my collage represents a collection of various professional music-related skills that interweave together, just like artwork on a, on a canvas or mm-hmm. on, a, a, on a cardboard or whatever you're putting those images together. They interweave together, and they, at the same time, the, the backdrop on which those musical images are interweaved is me. Mm-hmm. I, Harry Beckett, the person. Mm-hmm. I am the tapestry. I am the piece of paper. I am the, the piece of cardboard or the wall that you're doing it. <laughs> I know that. It's kind of interesting. So what I'm doing is I'm putting all these things on me. So if if that wall background is creating bright colors, joy and love, which I kind of is a philosophy in my life, joy and love, then all the choices that I do in music, whether it's writing songs, playing music, playing at church, uh, playing a jazz gig, doing music therapy, et cetera, et cetera, uh, it's all about, it's, these are all multiple extensions of things that I have against that or on top of that personal backdrop, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That is really beautiful. And it's funny that <laughs> you said that bit about you being the backing, because that's exactly what I was thinking as you're describing. I was like, this, your business card really just is, is to you, not yes. even a business entity or yes. um, a yes. service. It's, it's Harry Beckett yes. is the card. Yes. Um, and I think, I think that's a great uh, practice model and also just a, a good life model because I think there's a lot of integrity in what you do because you are the same. You get the Harry Beckett, <laughs> you yeah. know, you know, no matter how you get him, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, exactly. yeah, I think that's really special. And then, you know, we, we talk about volunteer work. I mean, yeah. I mean, when, when I volunteer, it's all about radiating who you are as a person, joy, mm. you know, and that's the harmony of the world. It doesn't have to be musical notes all the time. Just having conversation with people a- along the MKT trail where we, my wife and I ride our bikes or mm-hmm. jog or whatever, that is music to me. 
It, it is. It's it's that's part of that collage mm-hmm. of just being around people, hearing their voices, and hearing them share their stories. That's all part of the part of the equation, and mm. that that's so. It, it gets pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, what is, I mean, a lot of what you're describing is, um, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm, I am curious. And this is a question that I always like to ask music therapists. What do you kind of describe as your approach to music therapy? You know, there are all the different labels and the formal approaches and types of practice, but because what you do is so um, eclectic across your services, how do you describe describe your approach to music therapy? You know, are you a community music therapist? Are you a neurologic music therapist? Are you cognitive behavioral? Kind of what's your philosophy on that? Um, I guess if I was to choose a word that seems right at the moment, and I might change my mind tomorrow, but uh, <laughs> but maybe it's being a composite music therapist. Mm. But you you said a very key word, community-based. Mm. It's quite obvious that a lot of what I do is community-based. Mm-hmm. So there and there 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 is a, a defined area uh, in the music therapy world of more community-based activities. So one of the ways that I de- I demonstrate that that composite music therapy interest is by engaging with the community. Mm. And so, yes, it's very, very community-based. Uh, but I also do, I have a great love for NMT, Neurologic Music Therapy, and mm-hmm. Memoration. Uh, I would love, just absolutely love, to get a, a true neurologic music therapy program here in Columbia. I mm-hmm. mean, a really defined practice where it's really going very much in depth. Mm-hmm. Various therapists work in educational settings, working with develop, you know, developmental disabilities, working with stroke patients, working with Parkinson's. I mean, we 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 all are touching into some of those neurologic music therapy skills but but that is a dream of mine mm. but that's maybe that's also the the community therapist to be and we talked earlier about engaging with the community building those relationships i really think if you build the relationships with people and they find out a music you're a music therapist it almost doesn't matter what your subspecializations are whether mm. you do just humanistic music therapy or psychodynamic you know, like uh, psychological uh, trauma music therapy, or whether you do hospice, or whether you do developmental disabilities. If someone cares about you and they say, "Oh, I want, I, I want you to share with with my loved one," maybe their loved one has just uh, a learning disability, a developmental disability, or maybe they have a behavioral disability. Uh, it might be an adolescent. And I have worked with some younger clients, so I don't work with just seniors. It just so happens that probably 96% of what I do with seniors <laughs> at the time. But so uh, that's why I think my favorite word now is composite music therapy. And I don't know if they've actually defined that in AMTA, American Music Therapy Association, yet or not. But but um, that so that once you're board certified, as you know, we really have freedom to go so many directions. We don't yeah. have to just be uh, a, a, a speech and language learning music therapist or mm-hmm. a neurologic or or a hospice and palliative care. We don't we don't have to be pigeonholed. We have the freedom to go to whatever we we have where our heart desires. You know, in the broader spectrum of music therapy. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I I know I've talked about on this um, podcast before being rather eclectic myself and practicing from different um, approaches and modalities. And of course, I I'm still. Um, you know, a lot of that I'm, I'm still figuring out, but the more, especially being in grad school and, and having to, to read in depth about all of these approaches, the more and more I am finding that I can subscribe to any one of them a hundred percent that, like you said, we have such freedom and we don't have to be pigeonholed into one approach. And I think that's a lot of the beauty behind our profession. And that's what music is. You know, it's not just one thing it's so multifaceted it's um it's incredible but um speaking of philosophy um and this is something that I know you and I have talked about is what is your philosophy on um performance skills for music therapists why or do you think that it's important and and I know what my my answer is on this question, and I've thought about this actually a lot. Um, but what is your philosophy on performance, and do you think it is valuable or important or should be necessary for music therapists to also be performing and be in the community as professional musicians? What is the relationship yes. that you see there? Okay. Um, yeah, just speak to that a little bit. Okay, yeah, and um, um, and I've 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 thought about this question a lot, and mm-hmm. I've been asked this by many people mm-hmm. um, for some time now. And um, I've come up with several things that I've discovered really, really need to be emphasized in the whole music therapy training program. That is not only important during our degree seeking process when we're in school, but it's just this becomes a life process mm. over and over repeatedly. Uh, and one of those is, it's just kind of a, this is kind of a simple answer. One should always just practice, practice, practice on their favorite instruments. You know, now that doesn't mean that we're all going to be concert artists or, you know, virtual. We don't have to be necessarily a classical musician, like a classical violinist. I mean, mm-hmm. we might be a gospel singer or a, or a, a banjo player just playing in a bluegrass band. I don't care. But Wherever we feel drawn to, we always got to practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. But part of that practicing is very important for music therapists is to have a respect for many different genres of music. Mm -hmm. If all you do is say, okay, I only like rock music or I only like country music or I only like gospel music, you're you're going down. (laughs) I'm sorry. I hate to break the news to you. You're going down kind of a pretty risky path um, mm. if you really want to succeed as a music therapist because you're trying to, you know, it's not about you. Mm. It's not about satisfying your ego just to do bluegrass music or gospel mm-hmm. or rock or whatever. It's all about serving. You are a, a servant. It's about providing service. And the way you got to do that is you have to appeal in genres that are going to be appealing to other people. And so we have to keep practicing Keep, you know, learning, okay, learning how to play a simple uh, blues riff on a guitar or a keyboard or to play a, a country music or a gospel, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one thing is just always practice, practice, practice. A second thing that is just as important as you're practicing is listening. Listen, listen, listen. You can never overdo just listening to what other people do. 
constantly look for inspiration in what other people do, not just within yourself. Mm -hmm. Listen to what people, to your favorite country music artists, to your favorite jazz artists, your favorite R&B artists, whatever. Uh, just listen, listen, and, and allowing yourself, keeping an open mind, allowing yourself to be inspired by what they do. And chances are, the more you listen and are inspired by what those artists do, you're going to inspire your clients as well. Mm. Okay. Uh, and then a third thing, which I think is probably can never emphasize enough. They talk about it in our music therapy curriculum, but really build your confidence in how to transpose music to different keys. Mm. <laughs> a lot of times we say, okay, I want to learn a song and you, you, you buy the sheet music or you go online, you, you, you download the lyrics and you learn, the, you learn the chords, but someone says, okay, we're going to do this song in a totally different key than you might be comfortable with. Well, you know, not everybody develops a skill overnight, but one should make an effort. I really, really believe this is something that will you will be so blessed in the long run if you just keep diligently practicing on, you know, challenging yourself to, to, to play, play songs in, in all keys. And by doing that, you're going to get so comfortable. So if you're sharing a music therapy intervention with a client or their family member or whatever that wants to sing along and they're in a totally different key than you singing, you're going to be able to shift with them on the spot without that awkwardness. So that's that's something that I always think. Um, and there are some uh, there are some techniques that I could teach a course in that about how to develop more confidence in transposing. Mm. That's a whole other maybe whole yeah. other discussion. But maybe someday I will teach a course. And um, the, when when I was a, a recording musician, a recording studio musician in Nashville back in the late 1980s. I had to go into studios and people brought their original songs and we didn't even use chord names. We went by the number system. All right, yeah. give me a one chord, give me a four chord, five. So you got to be fluent in all your different keys and, yep. and so forth. So that's one way you can start by building your confidence in transposing. Okay. Uh, and then I also mentioned uh, you have to always build, build, build your interest in different genres mm -hmm. of music challenge yourself if you say oh i hate country music i i'm a rock and roller i don't like country music. no that's not the attitude give yourself a chance i can't tell you how many people that find and these weren't necessarily music therapists people who finally gave music their uh country music a chance if they were originally a rock and roller then all of a sudden they hear an artist uh that turns them on excites them and now they're converted <laughs> i have a friend of mine that got recently never liked country music as in his life until he heard chris stapleton who's a very famous uh, artist who kind of breached the gap and got that bluesy mm -hmm. and this guy only liked r&b and classic rock well after he discovered chris stapleton you know he went to one of chris stapleton's concerts and now all of a sudden, Chris Stapleton is his favorite singer of all. <laughs> and he's a country singer. But, I mean, that, that, that's the power by allowing yourself. Don't never judge by the genre of music. Never, ever judge. Uh, open your mind. It's the person the behind the music. It's the singer, the mm. musician behind, regardless of the genre. And if you're receptive to that, you will develop an appreciation for just about any type of music there is. If you, yeah. you know. So, um, and so my, my last key point on the, on performance skills, I want to emphasize 
I think it's very open. Always be open to change and to grow. Mm. Never close, say, oh, I've, I've reached the end point of my practicing. and don't, No, you know, always be open to grow and always be open to change your mind. Like that guy that never liked country music until Chris Stapleton came along. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. Well, that I think is a really good point to end on because those are those are some great takeaway points for our our listeners. And um, I just knowing you as a person and as a musician, that is very valuable advice. And so I'm so thankful that you were able to be here today to share that with our listeners. Harry, thank you so much for being here and um, joining this conversation. We have talked a lot about community today. And um, I want to make a point to say that we here at Music Therapy and Beyond are just so grateful for our community of music therapists in Columbia, but also our listeners um, who gather together each week to learn and grow. And we want to share resources with you so that you can go and invest in your own communities and, and, and do what Harry is saying and expand the work that you're doing to your everyday life. Um, we hope that you all have had a restful and happy Thanksgiving, and we are so thankful for each of you who join us each week or those who pop in when they can, but thank you for supporting us. And Harry, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thank you, Alyssa. You're the best. And thank <laughs> you for being such a wonderful interviewer. And, but most important, thank you for being a wonderful friend. Aww. And that, that's the greatest gift you could ever provide. <laughs> Well, it is truly a pleasure, Harry, and I'm so glad you could be here today. So for those of you who are curious, um, as always, you can find our show notes at musictherapyandbeyond.com. Reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on all of the resources that we're sharing with you. We will see you next month for new episodes of content. We look forward to seeing you in December. Bye. Yeah, I see those smiling faces today. When you're smiling, when you're smiling, the whole world smiles with you. When you're laughing, when you're laughing, the sun comes shining through. But when you're crying, Thank you.